You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. The scripture reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, that is Paul the Apostle, and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worshipped by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord for our church and is given for our good. Well, at this time, before we reflect more deeply on this passage, would you first join me in prayer? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, giver and perfecter of our faith, we thank you for your continual work among us, especially in your work among us as we listen to and reflect upon your word as it is preached. Would you send your Holy Spirit upon us and add your blessing to your word as it is preached, that we might become a people transformed by the good news of Jesus more and more, even today, even right now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've entered into graduation season. Friends and family and neighbors are graduating from high school and university. And I was recently speaking with a family friend who has graduated from university, and I asked the typical questions that you ask graduates. What are you doing after graduation? Did you land a job? And this individual had, but he wasn't very excited about his job, and he wasn't even very excited about the industry it was in. But he said he took the job because he knew it would look really good on his resume. Now, as a pastor... I felt an internal urge to remind this young man that life isn't all about making money. It isn't all about the resume, but maybe I'm getting older. Maybe the lockdowns got me jaded, (laughs) but I said to this young man, that seems really smart. Now, why did I say this? I said this because like it or not, so much in our life depends upon the resume we create in the younger years of our life. Our, our resume greatly shapes our future, whether we like it or not. It's hard to overstate the importance of a good resume in our place and time in history. 
Our resume sends signals of our worth generally to society, and we can pretend like that's not true, but as you scroll through LinkedIn, you'll know it's true. We build our resume so that we can feel good enough to fit into the crowd that we desire to fit into. We build our resume to ensure that people will respect us, that we will have a place at the table, that we can belong. And sadly, in our culture, our resume does more than just get us a job. It gives us a certain confidence as human beings, and it transforms all of our interactions. Our resume says, here's what I bring to all of my relationships. We all know this to be true, whether we like it or not. Sadly, it infects even our relationships in church. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul is actually going to do something like pull out his resume And his resume is going to be quite impressive. And he is going to say to us that his resume, as impressive as it looks, is actually garbage. It's worthless. But he is going to teach us that there is another resume that is available to us, the resume that will give us the security when we feel insecure, the confidence when we feel uncertain, a resume resume that will give to us tranquility in a world of chaos. And this resume, the Apostle Paul will want you to receive even right now, even today, as you reflect upon his words written so long ago. And so my goal this morning is that you would quit building the ideal resume like everyone in our city, and you would receive a different resume this morning. So we're going to look at the resume the Apostle Paul tells us to reject, really in verses 1 through 8. And then the resume he wants us to receive in verses 9 through 11. So first, let's look at the resume the Apostle Paul wants us to reject. And he uses his own resume as an example. He kind of opens it up and reads it to us. You can see the details in verses 5 through 6. And his resume is impressive, at least in Judaism. But why does Paul bring out his resume as an example? Why is he using his resume at all with us? He's doing it because he wants to warn the church in Philippi and, by extension, us, of the false teachers that so frequently followed him around after he left and polluted his church with false teachings. The crux of their false teachings was this, that if a Gentile wanted to become a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who wasn't previously a part of the Jewish people, that Gentile would need to jump through all the hurdles that were necessary for someone to convert to Judaism first before they could have any true and solid standing in their relationship with Jesus. Essentially, what the Apostle Paul is concerned about is a group of people who are telling Gentile Christians that the Jewish laws and the Jewish ceremonies, these things are necessary to build up a resume to preserve your friendship with God. And this teaching is potentially going to destroy the church in Philippi. We don't know if it had arrived yet, but Paul is giving them a warning. That's why in verse 2 he says, look out. He calls these people dogs, which is a quite derogatory term in English, but there's a sense of irony in what he means by it when when he says it to the audience. A dog was considered by the Jewish people to be an unclean animal. And representative of the Gentile people. Paul says, these people who want you to take on Jewish ceremonial laws, they are like the dogs. He says they are mutilators of the flesh. Here, clearly a play 
on the ritual of circumcision. He's saying that that ritual is just as ungodly as any other practice of mutilating the flesh. Paul wants the church in Philippi to reject these people's thinking. Unless they think, well, maybe Paul is just insecure. Maybe that's why he is so against this approach to Christianity. He pulls out his resume and he says this, that he, is, he has the pedigree that these false teachers only could dream of. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was not a convert. He was born into a Jewish family. Not only that, he's from the tribe of Benjamin, one of the two tribes that was loyal and faithful to the house of David. It wasn't just that he had this privileged upbringing. It wasn't just that he was born into a family that he kind of hit the ground running. He, he was born uh, already ahead of the race. But he even in his personal choices and in his lifestyle became a Pharisee, one of the most devoted and strict observers of the law, a people who separated themselves so vigilantly from the unclean. And even further, he says, he was zealous for the purity of the nation of Israel, so much so that he persecuted the church. And so far as it relates to living under the Jewish law, within the Jewish code, he says that he was absolutely blameless. There is no one who has a resume quite like Paul. And Paul is saying this, if friendship with God, if relationship with God is based upon a resume Paul saying, I've got the best one. I would be at the front of the line. But Paul is saying, these false teachers are misleading you. And I refuse to let you be tempted to go along with their teaching. Paul is saying, my resume is better than theirs. And I'm telling you that going on resumes as it relates to Jewish laws and Jewish ceremonies is the wrong path. This is a, a, a fleshly approach, he says in verses 3 and 4. It's not what we're, we need. In verses 7 and 8, he says that putting your confidence in your resume as it relates to obeying Jewish laws and rituals is a distraction. In fact, it's more than a distraction. It's actually a loss. It's rubbish. It's turning you away from loyalty to Jesus. Paul says that confidence in the resume and the resume itself is actually rubbish. And he uses a Greek word that's extremely vulgar. It's the most vulgar word we have for excrement, dung. Paul is saying, if this is your approach to a relationship with God, sort of showing off your moral achievements to God, you are wrong and you're misguided and you are going to deviate from the truth. This interaction between Paul and his warning about the Judaizers, these people who are trying to get people to convert to Judaism first to maintain a friendship with God. Kind of reminds me of that scene in Mrs. Doubtfire where Robin Williams is so desperate to have access to his kids and the courts say he can't have access unless this court liaison sort of uh, shows that he is competent and able to take care of the kids. He needs to show forth that he's trustworthy and the court liaison asks Robin Williams' character, do you have any special skills, Mr. Williams? And you may remember, he says, oh, oh, yes, I do. I have many special skills. And he says, I can do a lot of good voices. And he proceeds to be an opera singer and an alien and a mob boss. He eventually mimics being a hot dog. You might remember the scene. And despite his impassioned plea to show forth all the special skills he has, by the end of his time talking with this court liaison, it's obvious 
that he's no closer to receiving custody of his children, the very thing he wants. Look, the Apostle Paul is telling us that not only Judaism, but really every religion that you can find on this earth wants you to put together a resume to impress God, a resume through which you can know that you have friendship with God. Every religion, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism apart from Christ, even the sort of general religion we find in Toronto, the desire to be a morally good person, to have all the correct cover photos on Facebook, and to be on the cutting edge of all social charges. Every system that you will find is nothing more than an attempt to put together a resume through which you can build confidence that you are at peace with God, that if God is real, He is pleased with someone like you. Look, all these religions and all these approaches to life have different approaches and different values as to what should be on your resume and what shouldn't be on your resume. But this is a human instinct that has come to us since humanity rebelled against God. We know we're in trouble and we hope that we can build a resume, that we somehow can get ourselves out of trouble by doing things that would reestablish our relationship with our Creator. And the Apostle Paul is saying that this is an instinct that we all have. And listen, church... God's people, people who read the Bible, people who pray, don't for a second be naive. Hear Paul's warning. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for those moments when you fail to read God's word or you fail to pray and you walk around with your head down assuming God must be angry at you. Watch out for those moments when you fall back into patterns of addictive sin and you assume God must be done with you. You see, all of those instincts that you have are instincts that God is looking for a resume, and this black mark on your resume means He wants nothing to do with you. Paul is warning us, whether it's Islam or record-keeping about prayer time, keeping a religious resume is only going to lead you to paths of destruction. You will look as stupid as Robin Williams looks trying to convince the court liaison that his special skills of doing voices somehow makes him competent to have custody of his children. Listen, every line in your religious resume will ultimately be used against you as it relates to having any standing before God. Building a resume that assumes that anything we can do with our lives will somehow win over God's attention is utter foolishness. You must reject this approach to building a resume. This is what you must reject. But the Apostle Paul also tells us there's there's something you must receive. There's a resume that you need to receive. He starts talking about it in verse 9. He tells us that we need to be found with the righteousness from God. Maybe I could translate it in some senses as the resume that comes from God. And this resume is received by us through the means and channel of faith. And it comes as our life is tied up with, hitched up with Jesus Christ. His resume becomes our resume. His righteousness becomes our righteousness by faith as we are united to and connected to Jesus. Our flesh could never do this. Our best religious resume building could come nowhere close to the resume that Jesus has. You can actually receive Jesus' resume. And this was what was so radical to Paul. And when he saw it, 
It changed the way he looked at everything. He realized that God had never intended for the law to be the means by which God's people somehow had a relationship with him. It was by God's grace that he called out Abraham and made him into a nation. It was by God's grace he led the people out of slavery in Egypt through the Passover lamb. They didn't earn the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb was given to them by God's gracious initiative. It's always been grace. And when Paul begins to see this, he realizes that the new Passover lamb is Jesus. He's a greater Passover lamb. There's more grace than ever before. He lived a perfectly pure life, died a sacrificial death on a cross, and was resurrected from the dead. The grave could not hold him. The punishment of death did not apply to him indefinitely. And he paved the way towards life unending, towards a greater promised land for anyone who will just trust, who will just simply say, Jesus is the King. He is my Lord. He is my boss. He is, in some reverence and serious sense, also my friend. All that matters is saying, I am with him. What is true of him is true of me. I trust him. Listen, Paul is, is saying that there was no failure in the Jewish law. The Jewish law was never meant to give life. Paul began to realize that only God could give life, and he kept giving it by grace. Turning to the Jewish law was never even what the law was intended to provide. It was never intended to provide life for God's people. Jesus, the greater Passover lamb, has come. And this, as you believe, as you trust in this Jesus, is the means by which friendship and connection with God can be real, really and truly established. And thinking somehow that you could build a resume that could do what Christ did with his life is embarrassing at best. All you must do is trust this work of Jesus on your behalf. Follow this Jesus. Be loyal to this Jesus. And all that is true on his resume comes down and is true on yours. There's no way you could earn it. All you have to have is a need of him. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. I've become fairly close uh, with a, a friend who owns actually two nightclubs in downtown uh, Toronto. And the pandemic obviously has been hard on his business. And I've been staying in touch with him, calling him and texting him. And he, this past week, told me of some of his plans to reopen, hoping to reopen his nightclub on Halloween. And I was trying to be encouraging for him and happy for him, you know, thankful that he survived um, the, the pandemic and was able to push through. And then I remember that he has consistently asked me to come and visit his club to see his work. Now, I don't know everyone who's watching this, and I don't know how my face is coming across your television screen. I don't know if I might be presenting that I look like the type of person who might be rolling around a club, but I assure you I'm not. My wife and I went to Bible school. We were married at the age of 20. I have no idea what happens at a club. I have no desire to learn either. And so whenever he's invited me, I've always kind of felt it endearing, but I've always made excuses. And this time I thought, well, you know, (laughs) I don't want to put on a Halloween costume. I'm too old for that. Uh, Also, there's no way I'm coming to the club on the opening night. There'll be lineups going down the street. And what are they going to think when they see a, you know, a middle-aged dad coming by himself? I'll look like a huge pervert. There's no way I'm coming to your club. There's no way I'm ever going to be seen there. And I began to think through all the excuses I could continue to make if this individual persisted. But this individual reminded me that really all that matters is not the line, not how I dress, 
All that matters is not whether I look like the clientele. The only thing that matters is that when I show up at the club, that I say that I know the owner, that I mention his name and that he has mentioned my name to the bouncer and I will be immediately brought in. And I wouldn't be brought into the dance club floor and have to push my way through the crowds to try to find my friend, but I would be immediately escorted, not into the club, but into his very office. I wouldn't have to wait in line. I would be ushered right into his very presence. Now, why do I share this? Do I want to tell you that Kim and I are planning some sort of clubbing ministry following the pandemic? <laughs> Trust me, the answer to that question is absolutely not. There will be no Christchurch Toronto dance club ministry. But I hope what this individual has said to me illustrates something that we're seeing about the resume of Christ, that we don't deserve access into God's realm, that we can't earn our way there, that even we can't, uh, we can continue to work hard and try to be the ideal clientele, try to be the type of person that should be led into the club, but we'll never ever earn our way into this particular situation with a healthy relationship with our creator. But there's one who's gone before us. There's one who has access to the office. There's one who is on the inside. And when you say his name, if he's already said your name to the bouncer as well, you immediately skip the lines. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter whether you fit the ideal clientele. And rather than pushing your way and trying to make a resume that says, I belong in this place, you're quickly ushered and escorted into the very realm of the owner, the one who created all things. Paul is saying this is exactly what Jesus has done for us at the cross. He died, he was resurrected, and he was lifted into heaven. He's been into the place where we long to be, the place where we can be connected with our creator. And now all that matters is saying that you know this Jesus. And all that matters is that he knows you. And you then receive his resume, his status, his access. It all falls to you because you are tied up with and in a relationship with him. Why would you waste any of your time trying to build a resume when the resume of Christ is extended to you? Now, I hope you hear the good news that this passage offers, but I also hope you hear the warning it offers. Grace is not for the achievers. It isn't for those who are fit. This passage is, should come at many of you with a warning. Paul is telling us to watch out. Watch out for our successes. Watch out for our good works. Watch out for our growth. Those times when we feel like we're doing things right, where we feel like we're achieving, where we're proud of ourselves. Watch out for those times where you make the big donation. Are you sacrifice your time to help someone in need? Are you share your faith with someone who's curious? Watch out. Watch out for those moments where you never miss a day in prayer. Watch out for those moments when you're finding great victory over addicted sin. Because it's in those moments when you say, well, I am just doing so well. I have obeyed the Lord. I am really on target. And it's all because of what I have done. It's at that precise moment that you can lose it all. Grace is not for the achievers. It's for the beggars. Stop building a resume. What this means is that our goal is never to build a resume. Our goal is always to try to understand more clearly what Jesus has done for us. Understand the forgiveness that is offered to us for our sins. Understand the way that he's given us access and made us a child. 
And in understanding this, in trusting this work, Paul says, the Spirit's power is fully set free in our lives. And though the Spirit might lead us into paths of suffering, even those moments of suffering are only going to unite us more and more to Jesus, our Savior. This should launch us into a life of tremendous freedom, where we admit not just that it's okay to admit that you're not okay, but it's actually mandatory to daily admit that you're not okay. Apart from the work of Christ, you are without hope. But because of the resume of Christ, there is nothing left to do. Just trust Him. Rejoice. I pray that you'll trust now. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.